Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Everyone, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host Rachel Grohl, and today I have my friend Jay Bureau, who is joining us today. And Jay has such a powerful testimony that I wanted to invite him onto the show just to kind of pick his brain a little bit, to hear his heart, to hear his story, because I think it's going to be a, a really big blessing for you. So, Jay, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Thank you, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here, Rachel. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I'm excited about what the Lord might have for us today in our conversation. Jay, I thought mm-hmm. it might be helpful for you to just introduce yourself to the audience and just give them a little bit of your background and your story. For for those that might be listening that don't know, one of the, the things that is a primary pillar of the Hearing Jesus ministry, the She Hears ministry, is missions and God's heart for the nations. And Jay has a powerful story that kind of is a showcase of what God can do through the hope of the gospel. So, Jay, feel free to just take it away and just give us a little bit of your testimony and maybe your background and some of the things that God has done in your life. Well, nice, nice. Uh, again, thank you, Rachel, so much for inviting me to to your audience. And uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to share my story again. It's always an honor for me. I usually say, like, uh, what God took me through, it had a purpose and a reason. And if it's going to bless somebody, I'm all for it. And so, yeah, so born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, in a place called Mathare, which is one of the biggest slums that we have in the world. And my community is one of those places where, you know, there's definitely no hope around that place. Uh, it's that in terms of uh, literally and when it comes to financial living. Having a family where you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And uh, sometimes I say some some of these things I might say casually, but it's actually very serious because you're in the house and definitely you're waking up in the morning, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink, and uh, you have to go and try and figure out the day. And then coming back in the evening, you're hoping to find something has happened while you're away, maybe in school or something like that. But then you come into the house, it's nothing. My mother tried everything possible. And I think one of the hardest things is for the parents being able to have children, but they can't be able to feed them. And that was really so hard on my mom's shoulder. I remember it was very difficult for us coming home, and then she'd have to tell us, hey, we don't have anything to eat. And sometimes when we, even before they say it, you see it, because you step into this 10 by 10 room, which is definitely very small and tiny, and uh, definitely if they cooked anything, you'd talk, because... Uh, the room is warm, I usually say, because we used to cook with charcoals. If the room is warm, that means something has been cooked. If the room is cold, that means nothing was cooked. And so stepping into a cold room was an indication today there's nothing. And uh, then my mom have to say those words to me and to my brother. And to, I have two, two, uh, three brothers. And that became the norm. Like every now there's nothing, there's nothing to eat. And uh, it's it might be 
something that sounds like just a story, but there are people who are living that even right now. Like you don't know where the next meal is going to come from. And living from the living in the U.S. right now, I see how some people from this side might not get it because there's so many opportunities here. There's so many things that you can do here to get something to eat, which is not normal. I've seen people who even I have been in a place where I have so many food in the fridge that I have to throw some of them. But then it's just a different world on the other side, and it's dark in, in that side. And so those difficulties, having uh, grown up without having a role model, like, you know, kids are born in my community. I can guarantee you mo- very few kids in my community that had the same uh, father and mother. Chances are you have a different father all the time. Most likely, of course, same mom, but you have a different father all the time. And we have these families, and there's a lot of weirdness that's going on. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty you don't know the future, you don't know what's going to happen. And so you're in this bubble whereby you're feeling like you're in your own world. And to some extent, it's like nobody else outside cares. Mm-hmm. And so you're here, you're all my, my life is just within a, a certain radius because I've seen people who are, who are there before me and all they have is nothing and they're just within the same uh, circle. And you're thinking, what's, what's my future going to be like? What's going to happen? Am I going to die here? What's going to happen? And some of these, these things uh, lead people to, dark, uh, to to start being desperate and doing some things that are out of the ordinary. For example, most of the people in my community, the boys are, end up becoming thieves and girls end up becoming prostitutes. My parents, my mom would sell a certain kind of uh, liquor, which is called Chang'ai. It's more like moonshine. And uh, there are so many things that people do even selling drugs is, it's out of desperation. It's out of, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I, it's either I do what I have to do or I'm going to die. And of course, some of those things have consequences and some people get killed, especially when you're still in get killed by the police, uh, or there's what we call the mob justice that can stone you, beat you with any sharp object. Uh, eventually they usually burn people with a tire uh, around their neck. Some people definitely get sick with, uh, you know, some, some of these deadly diseases and they end up dying. So, but these are some of the things that have happened because of the desperation of being poor. So for me, it led me to become, uh, to go to the streets of Nairobi and I started begging. I became a, a beggar. That was better because I didn't want to steal. And you know, of course, because I knew what happens when you steal. But even begging didn't go well because I was providing for my family while I was in the streets. I would get anything and bring it home. But when I couldn't find anything, then I resorted to stealing. It was like a default. You do what you have to do, but there's a default which is going to lead you to doing this eventually. So I started stealing at the age of nine, but I didn't steal for a long time before I was uh, I was arrested and went to prison at the age of nine. And it was the darkest moment of my life. Being there, it was like... Can we pause there for a minute and yeah. think about that? As a nine-year-old boy, you yes. went to prison. Yes. And just for your information, I was not the youngest. Uh, you know, I I've spent some time in some Kenyan prisons. And yes. I was not prepared. The first time we went into a Kenyan prison, I was not prepared for the sight of children in a prison, in a Kenyan right. prison. I knew that we were going and I thought we were we were going to the women's prison and we were going to minister to women. And it caught me off guard at how young children were that were in this prison. And so I want I want that to sink in. I want people to recognize that because I think in the States, that's unheard of for us. You know, we have social care systems and all those things, but that is a completely different perspective that 
out of desperation, you yes. were willing to have food to eat and it landed you inside of a prison. And so maybe if it's not too painful for you, can you describe like what that experience was like? You weren't, you said you weren't the youngest that was there. Yes, definitely not. And here is what happens. Uh, definitely there are some few organizations or there are some few people who try to do something about the kids, but the amount of poverty compared to the help that's there, it's not, uh, doesn't balance. And so what happens is that uh, even the, some kids who are in prison is not because they were stealing. Some of them, they were actually begging. But because begging is kind of illegal, so when they get a hold of you and you're begging, also you get uh, to go to prison. I remember at the time, there was a specific head of state. I don't remember which country that was coming. And whenever there's a head of state that comes, they want to clear the streets. <laughs> they want to show, oh, we are poor, but we're not this kind of poor. So they try and clear the streets. So at that point, if you're stealing, if you're begging, they clean up the streets. And so the, the prisons were, were so full at that particular time. And uh, like I said, I was not the youngest. Some of them were younger than me. And for me, it was just entering into the world that I've never seen and I've never experienced. And it was so dark and, and, and noisy. And you're in this world of wondering what just happened. And not just what happened, just me being in prison, what just happened in my, to my life? Like, what is this going to be like moving forward? Is this going to be my life? Because I had seen other kids who, were, who would come in and out and that was their life. But in there, I met some kids. Most of them uh, ended up being sick because, of course, it's, the hygiene there is not the best. I remember this one particular guy who was very sick and he, he could not even get a hold. He could not even hold a plate of food whatever food uh, that we had, which was you know, the best food. I remember his plate just rolling down and falling near the, to the toilet because it was a public toilet and it was a very messy and dirty place. And I saw a lot of young people going to grasp whatever he dropped and eating it. You can imagine that's part of the reason why uh, people would get sick. And so you're here, you're wondering, how did I get here? How do I get out of this place? And uh, there's a lot of hopelessness in there. And it's not like there are people who are coming to try and encourage you. And so, yeah, I, I I couldn't see myself getting out of there. I didn't know how. Because, again, in Kenya, if you, and you know this, there's what we call Kitu Kidogo. If you're able to bribe your way out, then you can get out easily. But if you don't have anything, or if you don't come from a family that has a name that can be like, oh, so-and-so called on your behalf and so they can let you go. You can be, you can rot there. Basically, you can die there for a very, very minor thing, minority. It doesn't have to be like something major for you to be there for a long time. It can be something little. So, yeah, so for me, I usually say it's, it's one of those darkest moments and I get wanted to get out and I had a lot of questions to myself, especially to God, like how did I... How did I end up being in my family, a family that cannot provide? How did I end up being in prison? How did I end up being poor? You know, some of those questions where you're wondering, how comes other people have a better life than me? You know, as a child, you you start questioning things like, is there anything that I did? Is there anything that I could have done? And all these things goes through my mind and I'm wondering, is this going to be my life? So for me, the best thing about, and you know about Kenya is that uh, there are preachers in the streets of Nairobi every time that you that you walk in the streets of Nairobi. Or if you walk into a matatu, which is a public transportation, there are preacher preaching and they are always telling you that Jesus loves you and he cares for you and all these things. And sometimes we definitely ignore them because, you know, 
There are so many of them and you're like, you just want to go into your business. But one thing about the word of God is that, you know, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, in the streets of Nairobi, you're going to hear the gospel. You may not be able to sit down and listen to the whole thing, but there's going to be a moment where God would want you to hear something that would be useful for you for a certain moment. And for me, it's just a simple message that, you know, Jesus loves you. As simple as that is the message that I could hear over and over again. And so when I was right there in prison, I knelt down and I asked, I, I prayed to that God who said that he loves me. And uh, I was not a believer. I was not a believer at this moment. But again, you're desperate. And because your family cannot provide financially, the best thing you can do is pray to God. Thank God when you, are, when you have to talk to God, you don't need to pay anything. <laughs> It's free, talk to God, anything. You don't have to have a mobile phone. You don't have to have Wi-Fi or anything. He's always available. And so for, for me, I was able to, to pray to God at that particular moment. And I asked God for two things. One, to take me out of prison and out of poverty. So getting out of prison was very important, but getting out of poverty was even more important because of the desperation that happens when you are poor and the things that people do. People that things that people had done I've seen a lot of my friends being killed while they were stealing. And so it's like, I do not want to be killed. I do not want to be burned in the streets of Nairobi, just like I've seen a lot of people being burned. And I'm like, I'm hoping I can have a different life. And so I pray to God and thank God that our God is living. He hears, he answers, and uh, he is alive. And for me, mm-hmm. when I when I prayed, God came through for me. And it was actually very interesting uh, because there was a, a social worker that was coming to talk to all the children. I think because the, that that particular uh, prison was for 19 years old and younger. So they were mm-hmm. coming to try and talk to the kids, figure out what they are, who they are, what they're doing. Basically, especially for people like us who could not do anything to get ourselves out there. So she came and talked to me about life, what is going on. And for some reason, it, because I used to go to school, but not uh, often. I would go on and off because because of uh, not lack of uh, tuition fee and textbooks and all these things and lack of food in the house, going to the street. So I would go to school on and off. And so when we had conversations with the, uh, the social worker, he, she actually, she picked up like, you know what, it sounds like you've gone to school because I could understand. I think after talking to me, she realized this is somebody who would be good to be a school. And so they wanted to take me to a... Uh, the, the the government has a prison which is a school, so she literally wanted me to go there. And they had, as I remember her writing on that paper, like back to school. That was the recommendation she recommended to the judge. And so when I went to the judge, the judge did not want to let me go. They wanted me to take me to that particular school, which is a prison. But because I kind of knew what they were trying to do, and you know, in there people would talk and they would say, "Hey, this is what they tried to take the kids to this place." So you. You don't want to go there. So I remember I actually cried out loud to, to the, in, in court. Like I cried out so loud and I was like, hey man, I I really want to go back to my school. Please let me go and I'll, I'll go to school. And he gave me a warning. He said, hey, if I see you in the streets, because he used to, he used to come and see us, he said, if I see you in those streets again, I'm not going to let you go again. So he let me go and uh, I was free. And I remember going home and thinking, wow, this is what freedom looks like. I didn't, I didn't understand, but this time I was like happy and excited that finally, you know what? I'm free. I was free from prison, but I was still not free from poverty. But at least I went back home. Yeah. 
that cycle of poverty is so important to address because without addressing the poverty, the likelihood of ending up back in prison for so many of these kids is that's the reality of daily life. Like it it wasn't it was one of the only options. And so while, yes, you know, we, we've done some work in some of the Kenyan prisons where we've gone in and we've paid the whatever the fee is or the fine to release some of these mothers and these children from jail. But then you have to go one step further than that, because if you don't give them an opportunity to make money or to give them a business or a trade or some some sort of way out of poverty, they're going to end up right back in. And so... Yeah. How did that change for you? Because obviously, like you said, you were free from prison, but you weren't free from poverty. What changed for you? Well, for me, I think when I went back home, uh, first of all, I, at this point, my mom had gone through a lot of things. And I didn't, of course, she had gone a lot through a lot of, a lot of things, but I, not, I did not know to what extent. Because, of course, they were making sure that I don't know about everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I had, I, later on, I came to learn some. Point. I don't know if that's the time when I was in, in prison or at what point, but my mom had attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. So to her, she had felt like though she was a failure, she can't take care of her children, and she had actually fallen into depression. She did. She had lost every other business that she was trying to do, everything that she had, she had lost. It. So she was like, how am I going to feed my children? She was like, I'm not going to live to see my kids doing uh, going through this. And to her, she thought taking her life was the best thing. So thank God she didn't. She, she wasn't successful in that. And so after that, we we started living with my grandmother. And so this is what happens for the most part, especially in my community. Kids who get children early or who get kids and they're not able to take care of them, they usually go and dump them to their grandmother's house. So like, hey, grandma, mom, can you take care of this child of mine? I'm going to be coming. So the idea is like, let me go work while you take care of the children. Some of them never come back. So my mom didn't run away, but she could not take care of us. So we all ended up being in my grandmother's house where we had more children and we were like more cousins and more uncles in this one small space that we can't even, we can barely get a place to sleep. We didn't even have a bedroom. We were like, you find a space where you can just lie down and that's where you're going to sleep. And so here I am, I'm like, okay, I've, I've gone to, jail, to prison and I don't want to go back here. What do I do next? So my grandmother actually got a hold of me. Literally, she held my hand and she walked with me to school because the school was not far from where we were staying. And I remember telling, because at this point, I had given up on school. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to school. I I didn't even find school to be fun. I thought like, this is a waste of time. I'm still not going to do anything good. But she insisted and she dragged me to school. And so I was like, grandmother, we don't even have money to pay. She's like, you don't worry about that. So she went and spoke to the teachers and like, hey, uh, let this guy be in school. If he's not in school, something bad might happen to him. And so they were like, okay. She said, I'm going to bring you money. And she didn't even have any job. But she was a woman of faith and she believed that, you know, something is going to happen. God is going to come through. And uh, at this particular time, his own compassion came to the school because the school was not far from Compassion Center. Remember, Compassion was with local churches. So the church... And the school were not far from each other. And so at, at that particular moment, compassion would come to a school like my school because the, the school has kids from Madarish, from the slums. And so these are kids who definitely want to be in school, but most of them have difficulties because of school tuition fee. 
And so she, though they came to, to my, to my school and they were looking for students who are in school. They want to be in school, but then they are struggling with tuition fee and, and, and those things. So they selected me as one of, so they selected a, a, a number of us. So it's like more of like, uh, okay, we're going to interview these students and find out who is the poorest among them all. That's one of the time you're like, I hope I'm the poorest. I hope we're poorer than these other guys. Because at this particular no. moment, at this particular moment, being extremely poor or rather poorer than the other guys, it's an advantage because you get into the program. Mm-hmm. Remember, compassion cannot take care of everybody. It's a, right. Matare has millions of, of people. And so you can't take care of every child. And so they're trying to see among all these poor, which ones are the poor of the poorest? And so they started asking us questions. Like for me, because of my teachers knew about my situations and what was happening. So they just went further and asked, hey, do you have both parents? No, I don't have both. I have my mom. I don't have my father. Okay. Does your mom work? No, she did Like, in other words, trying to find out among these kids, who are the kids that definitely need this more than anybody? And so I happened to be among the ones that they said, okay, then you need to be this program. And so that's how I was enrolled into the program of compassion. And so they took our names and they said, hey, come to the compassion center, come to this church. Actually, we didn't, we didn't know so much about the compassion. We knew about the church because what compassion does is that they go under the church and they want the church to shine a light and not so much compassion. So they go under the, the church. They, they empower the church and that church becomes a light in that community. So they, Ask her, hey, come to the church. So we went to the church, and uh, lo and behold, there's a lot of food, which was exciting. There was a lot of playing time. Like, you know, for a moment, you feel as though you're a child, and you can do normal child things. You know, just don't have to worry about feeding other people. Just play, go eat. And, yeah, so they, that's how it started. And so they took pictures. They made packets of us, and uh, they didn't even tell us the process. It's not like we get to know, oh, now... Uh, there's a process. So, but we knew at some point people get sponsors. And so we, w- we would continue to be in the program. They started to pay for our tuition fee. Like immediately everything started being, even before I got my sponsors. And this is something that people would like to know is that while the kids are in the program, with or without the sponsor, compassion is still taking care of these kids. They're still being paid for the tuition fee. They're still getting food. They're still, while they are waiting for the sponsors. And so, yeah, so that, that happened. But then uh, the part of getting sponsorship is one that we really wanted to, to hear because we're always like waiting to hear, hey, is my name going to be called? So usually we'd go to school Monday through Friday. Saturday you go to the Compassion Center. Of course, we do all these things. But towards the end of the day, after we eat and after we play and after we have all these lessons and everything, towards the end of the day, after we, we eat, the teacher comes with the list of the kids that have been sponsored, that have new sponsors, and they start reading them out. So we all wanted to hear our name being called. Like that was like a special moment. Like, do you have a new friend? I could say, it's friends. Like, do you have a new friend? Did you get a friend? And uh, unfortunately for me, I waited for a long time. Like I wasn't getting picked. And I started questioning and being afraid what's going to happen. Am I going to be thrown out of the program? Uh, you know, because I waited. I was one of those kids waited. We just cross our fingers when they were reading out the names. I'm like, waiting, wait. And and. I waited for some time, but one time, one day, my name was called, and so I got I got a sponsor from California. Wow. That was exciting, yeah. Lauren, 
What? So what is the difference that compassion has made? What would you say is the biggest difference compassion has made in your life? And and I know that's probably hard to summarize, but the difference in your life before sponsorship and after sponsorship, what would you say the compassion did and how that changed the trajectory of your life? I would say what they did, they gave me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. See, the difference between the kids in, in Africa and the kids here is that the kids here have an opportunity. They have an yeah. opportunity to make it to be whoever they want to be. They have an opportunity to go to school. They have an opportunity to be like, you know what? See that particular person? I want to be that particular person. And you have a chance and opportunity to be that particular person. So compassion gave me that opportunity to be whoever I want to be. They gave me an opportunity to go to school. They gave me an opportunity to be to to make my future be brighter. And that is one biggest thing, and it's very loaded. But for me, I usually say one of the best gifts that they gave me, uh, there are three of them. One of them is uh, education. Going to school gave me that chance and gave me that opportunity to make it in life. And the second of all is uh, the love that I got from my sponsors and the teachers around me. In fact, the first time I heard the words, I love you, was from a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And you write letters back and forth and you say all these things. And then hearing the words, like I love you, was uh, special to me. But the third, it, and usually this is like the best of the best, is uh, receiving Jesus. Mm-hmm. As you know, compassion clearly says that we're releasing kids out of poverty in Jesus' name. Yeah. And that is very, very, very important because, you know, we had a lot of food while well, in the program. We had a lot of shoes and clothes. We had a lot of these gifts, but all these gifts have a, a, an expiry date. But Jesus does not have an expiry date. When we give somebody Jesus, uh, the Word of God is very loaded. The Word of God has so many things that I can always go to the Word of God and encourage myself when I'm going through something. I can go to God for anything. And so among all the things that kids receive, among everything that we receive, the best of them is to give somebody Jesus. And that's not only the kids in poverty. That's not only kids in, in compassion. That's all of us. That's everybody yeah. that needs to know that, you know, the best thing that you can receive the best gift that we can give. I know we're in the season of giving. We're in Thanksgiving is coming. Christmas is coming. People have already planned, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to give this. But my prayer to especially Americans, because I I know uh, Americans and basically uh, the West, we love to to give a lot of gifts around Christmas time. And this is something that I'm even trying even with my own little girls that even though we're giving you all these things, Christmas is not about gifts. Christmas is about Jesus. Amen. And if you're able, if you're able to, to, to capture that, that you know what, you may not have all these gifts, but if you have Jesus, that's the best gift. That's the best gift that we can give to the world. That's the best gift that we can give to the people who are, who are, who are suffering. And so for me, that was the best of the best. Amen. Yeah. You know, there's one more thing that I wanted to ask you about. I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier, you and I were, is... We are in a place as a culture and as a society where there's a lot of chaos in the world right now. And yeah. there are people that are really struggling with fear. And one of the things that I know just from walking the streets of Nairobi is that fear is probably something that you had to deal with as you were growing up. And I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about the difference that not just compassion, but Jesus has made in in how you handled fear or how you handle fear. Because I think, you know, when I think about how to do life, 
I am so heavily dependent on the Holy Spirit to get us through. And there are so many people that aren't quite there yet. And so I wondered if you could just give us just quickly a little bit about your perspective and how you may have handled that when when you were on the streets or even being in that that prison. I feel like that idea of fear is something that resonates with people and for a variety of different reasons. I mean, the, the reasons why I have fear might be different than the reasons why kids in Kenya might have fear. But I think the undercurrent there is the enemy tries to use fear to keep us bound. And so I just wondered if you would share a little bit about your perspective on fear. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's true. People are afraid of different things depending on where they are in life and what challenges that, that, that are facing them and People have different kind of uh, what they are going through. And for me, I think if I think of fear, there are a few things that come in, in mind. And not necessarily being in the Nairobi city, because for me, in Nairobi city, I, I never felt any fear because it was, to me, it looked safe and, and everything. But then the community that I lived in, which is Matari, it's a slum. It's a, a place where even we didn't have electricity at that particular moment. Like people would live off a uh, small, uh, I don't know what I would call them, like it's not candle, but it's like uh, you know what I'm talking about. The lighter is yeah. right. It doesn't light yeah. even the even the house itself. It doesn't light the house well. So generally, yeah. when it's at night, it's dark everywhere. It's dark yeah. that, and you can imagine you. It's dark outside, and you don't have bathrooms in the house. So if you wanna go to the restroom, you gotta go outside. And where do you go? You go all the way down to the river which is dangerous, you can be mugged, you can be killed, you can, anything can happen. If you need to buy anything, like we don't buy stuff in bulk and store them so that when you need, you can pull it up. Sometimes we might be cooking and we don't have salt and we can't cook food without salt. So, hey, uh, do you have any shillings? Okay, here, go get salt. The fear of me is like, how do I go outside all the way to buy salt? And it's a distance. And it's late at night. It's dark. The streets are dark and the, on the ground, the sewer, like you can be stepping into anything that can hurt your feet. Like my, my foot was poked a lot with a broken glass. Either I stepped on something and, and I'm talking about walking without shoes because most of yeah. the time we didn't have shoes. So I'm afraid of what I might step on. I'm afraid of who I might come across. I'm afraid of falling and. Actually, for me as a little kid, that was a, a, pro, a big problem. They actually gave me a nickname because I used to cry a lot. Anytime they would send me outside, I would cry. They would be like, no, there's nobody else to go. And in our culture, the culture is the youngest people get to be sent. So if I'm the youngest, I have to go and get whatever I've been sent. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid of darkness and walking through the darkness. What if somebody is waiting for me at the, at the corner? What if somebody... So there's that. That's fear number one. Fear number two is like, what about tomorrow? Mm. What are we going to eat tomorrow? Are we going to, now we might be enjoying a meal right now, which might not be too much, but even getting this meal for today was a struggle. If today was a struggle, how about tomorrow? And you wake up the following day thinking like, is there going to be anything today? Am I going to go hungry again today? And the third kind of fear is like, what's my future going to be like? Am I going to end up like so-and-so? Am I going to end up like so-and-so? And there has been multiple things that I was afraid of in life. And for me, just going through all these phases of fear and always being afraid, I think for me, 
the moment for me I started seeing the light in Christ, the moment I start seeing that, just like the Bible says that, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. Like when you start, and that's why I said, giving somebody the word of God, giving Jesus is the best gift, because the way to overcome fear for me was through the scriptures, was through believing in God, that knowing that, you know what, this is what God has promised, and he has promised me, and I believe that whatever he has promised is true. And so I may not be afraid of my tomorrow, because guess what, God is taking care of my tomorrow. I don't have control about tomorrow. There's nothing, absolutely nobody with millionaire, but no matter how much money you have, there's no way you can take care of your tomorrow in terms yeah. of what's going to happen. Tomorrow will take care of itself, and that's what the Bible says. And so for me, being in Christ gave me that confidence and assurity that, you know what, let me believe in God, and let me thank Him for today. Let me worry about today, and you know what, what has He given me today? And then tomorrow, God is going to take care of tomorrow. And for me, every day that has been the, the case. Like Sometimes, honestly, I've seen even some of my friends being worried about something, and I'm always easy. I'm like, you know what? God is going to take care of it. And uh, it's, when we were younger, I think in church, there's a, there's a lady who came and gave us a scripture, Psalms 27, verse 10, and even, it says that even though my father and mother may abandon me, and in this case, whether they abandon you or not, no matter who abandons you, the Bible says in Psalms 27, verse 10, is that the Lord will take care of me. And it is that assurity, it is that firm foundation in the world that, you know what? The Lord will take care of me. And once you know and believe that the Lord is going to take care of you, believe in it and hold on to it. God will never let you down. So for me, that has been how I've overcome fear. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. My goodness. I'm so thankful for the way God used compassion in your life and, you know, the way that he came in at just the right time and just provided rescue. You know, one of the things that I love about compassion is the commitment that they have to to work, not just in Kenya, but around the world. And so one of the things that we are doing on the Hearing Jesus podcast is the tithe from the show is actually going to be going to compassion. That's how much I believe in what God is doing through compassion. And so our goal as a show is we want to try to get 30 children sponsored between now and the end of the year. And so if you were listening today and you would like to join me in sponsoring a child through compassion, there's a couple different ways you can do that. And I would ask you to prayerfully consider that because just like Jay, there are so many kids that around the world that are praying for God to show up and compassion is answering that call in a powerful way. And so there's a couple ways to do that. You can text, send a text to sponsor. You can text the words hearing Jesus and you can text that to 83393. And I'll put all this information in the show notes as well. And when you text that, they will send back a photo of a child that's waiting for a sponsor. Or you can go to compassion.com forward slash hearing Jesus and you can see the children that are waiting and you can pick a boy or a girl or the country, whether it's Kenya or one of the other countries or a special birth date. And so there's a variety of different ways to do that. But I would ask you to prayerfully consider joining me in sponsorship because as we have heard today, it can mean the difference of life or death for some of these kids. And so, Jay, I would want to ask if you would just close out our time together, just praying for our listeners today that might be just but just hearing some of this stuff for the first time and also this idea of fear and 
how Jesus answers the fear. Like you said, it's through the scriptures, how we learn about the character and the nature of God. And so above and beyond the food and the education, it's the hope of the gospel that compassion delivers to the kids. And that answers some of life's biggest questions for, for not just for them, but for us. So I was hoping you would pray to close us out, considering some of the things that we talked about today. Well, yes, I'll do that. And thank you so much again, Rachel, for giving me and giving us an opportunity. I always thank God that I have an opportunity to share my story uh, yeah. and get other children's points. So then I hope and pray that through this, we're going to have 30 or more kids' life being changed yeah. and uh, overcoming the fear, the fear and knowing that, you know, what God is going to take care of them. So thank you to all the listeners. And thank you in advance for the ones who are going to sponsor and uh, being part of the story and the journey of these kids. Anyway, let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you and I want to bless you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have, an opportunity to share my story, to share your story, Lord, of what you've done in my life, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, Lord, that uh, through my story, lives are going to be changed. Through my story, you're going to be glorified, Lord, because everything that happened, just like you watch it, it happens for a reason. And if it is for your own, if it's for your glory, let it be so. If it's for the kids who get sponsored, let it be so. And so I want to thank you for all the listeners that as they heard the story, I hope and pray that they got blessed by one or something that I said. And I pray that, Lord, that this story may, may be something that's going to be, you know, they can use this for, if they want to sponsor kids, if they have some doubts before, whether is this for real, does this work, that, God, you can use me as an example that it actually works. That even as they... Yeah. Uh, prayerfully consider to sponsor children. The Lord Jesus, Lord, you may direct them to the kids that, Lord, do you want them to be part of their story? That as they, as they pick and sponsor those children, they are going to be part of their story and they are going to bring change and they will see the difference. And even as they do that, God, you're going to take care of their lives, Lord. You're going to take care of them even as they take care of the children, Jesus, Lord. And that, God, if they have any, if, if there's anybody that is uh, uh, tuning in right now and they're afraid of something that's happening, or something that might happen in their life, Jesus, Lord, God, we know that, God, you are the only person who can take care of us. You are the only person who we can always look up to because, Lord, we know our help comes from you, Jesus, Lord. Even as we go through all this fear, even as we are afraid, we are human beings and human beings get afraid. But God, we should know that you are God and you as our God and as our Father, you protect us, you love us and you take care of each and every one of us. That even the things that we are worried about, some of the things, they are, they are not as big, they can never be as big as you, our God, Jesus Lord. That all of us can know that we can look up to you, that we know that we you will take care of us, you will protect each and every one of us. And so God, help us take out the fear in each and every one of us lives. Lord, take out everything that might be and make us doubt that God, that you exist and that you can take care of us, Lord. And dear Lord, I want to thank you, Lord. Even as we go to Thanksgiving and Christmas and all these seasons, Lord, that God, even as we give, give, as we give our family members, as we give our friends, that we may remember that we can also give somebody the opportunity to hear the word of God. There may, may be compassion children, or maybe just friends that we have with our neighborhood, in our churches, in our schools, in our circles, that we may have an opportunity to share with them about Jesus, that we may give them that opportunity to hear that Jesus, you love them and you'll take care of them. Just like you take care, took care of me and you're taking care of many, many children and many people around the world. Let those who have anxiety, people who are afraid, know that Lord, you'll take care of them. All we need to do 
is to love you and to accept to follow your ways. We thank you and we bless. Thank you for Rachel. Thank you for bringing me on this podcast, Lord. Even as we share the story of compassion, bless her and may this podcast grow and grow and become the biggest podcast, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for the opportunity. As we go on with the rest of the, our days, uh, may your name be glorified. We thank you and we bless you. We pray this believing and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Rachel. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, friends. As we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.